Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to read verse 13. Get there, let us pray. Thank you, God, for being God and for allowing us to know you as God. Please help us to focus in on you, God, to learn more of you, God, to draw closer to you, God. And to truly rejoice in all that you've given us and all that you allowed us to be a part of and to see, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're continuing. We're going to progress towards the definition of salvation. But we're sticking on these prerequisites to salvation right now. Last week we talked about repentance. About Now, repentance is an integral part of being saved. It's an integral part of believing and putting your faith in Christ Jesus. If you have not repented, you have not believed in him. And as we progress today, we're going to add to that this concept of repentance and show you how what is the common definition of repentance goes along with it, but it is not repentance. And that is prayer and asking for forgiveness. Here in Proverbs chapter 28, Verse 13, it says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Whosoever, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And here in this proverb, it puts together the idea of confession of sins with repentance because they go hand in hand and both of them are expressions of faith and expressions of belief. Just drive this home. All you have to do to be saved is believe in Jesus. That's it. It takes nothing other than putting your faith in Jesus to be saved and receive salvation. But what has happened is we have detached salvation, our faith, and robbed us of its substance. So it doesn't have any meaning. So for most of us to believe in Jesus is just to think that there was a guy named Jesus who died on the cross. That word faith and belief really doesn't mean anything. And what we're going to try to do is add substance to what true faith is. And a part of faith is repentance, turning. Because you've been walking your own way all of your life, doing your own things, following your own passions and desires. And so you turn from following yourself and you put your faith in Christ. You trust in him to lead you. You trust in him to guide you. You trust in him to give you the wisdom and to show you the way of life. That's why repentance is a part of faith. But in that repentance, sorrow and the changing of our view and the way we see salvation is a part of repentance. That's the word for repent in the New Testament means metanoia, to change, to alter the mind. And so in the altering of our mind, the way we see ourselves and the way we see sin becomes a part of repentance. So confession flows from repentance, but confession is not repentance. If y'all understand what I'm saying, if all you do is say, I'm sorry, I messed up, you have not repented. But if you truly repented, you will confess your sins, say you sorry and that you messed up. It flows a part of the same because the way you view sin, the way you view yourself has changed. So that's why in the proverb is saying covering your sins does not allow you to prosper. But confessing and forsaking is the thing that allows you to obtain mercy. Now, we talked about this a long, long time ago, so I'm pretty sure y'all don't remember. 
The word confess, just throw the definition out there as we get into it. It literally, or it could be literally translated as to say the same thing as. So when you confess your sins, you're saying the same thing as. Like the last time we talked about it, we talked about our response to God and in the knowledge of God. And we say we're supposed to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you come into agreement with him. You say the same things about him that he says about himself. So when it comes to confessing our sins, there's an agreement that has to take place in order for it to be true confession. So that means your mind has to be altered so that you see your sins the same way that God sees them. And you say the same things about them that God says about them. If you're not doing that, you're not confessing. Go, we're going to take a couple of examples. Look at a couple of expressions, a couple of parables and a couple of stories. Go to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18. Confession means to say the same thing as. And confession is a part of our faith. Luke chapter 18, we're going to start at verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them, to this end that men ought to always pray and not faint. And this is Jesus speaking the parable. And the purpose of this parable is that men ought to always pray and not faint. Y'all got that. Pray without stopping and you don't lose heart. You don't give up. Now watch this. Verse 2. Saying there was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubled me, I will avenge her. At least by her continual coming, she weary me. This is the first parable. You got a widow in the city with this guy who don't care about people and he don't fear God. So he has no obligation to do anything that this woman is asking him to do. He don't care about her and he don't fear God. So he has no moral obligation to do it. But the point that Jesus brought the parable was that this dude who don't care nothing about people, who don't have no moral obligation to God, did what this lady desired of him because she kept coming. And y'all see the picture. She continued to pray. She continued to come before him. And that's the point that Jesus wanted to point out. Dude didn't care. But he did what she desired because she kept coming. Keep Let's keep rolling. Jesus explained. He said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth. This is Jesus' point of the parable. Say, God will avenge his elect, though he bear long with them, though he patience. He hold out because their continual is coming to him day and night. So the picture is there's some people out here praying and interceding and seeking God for some things. And it's saying God is being patient. He's holding back. But he said God will avenge them. And by avenge, he will make right on the things that have went wrong in them. He will answer their call. He will hear their prayer because they continually pray. And he sums it up is when the son of man come. So when I come back, shall he find faith on earth? And the thing that he connected it to is to continue with prayer. So in the mind of Jesus, continually in pursuit, seeking God, seeking after him for the same thing over and over again is an expression of faith. 
Y'all understand? You see the connection. Because I know in some of our churches and our traditions, when we get deep and they got this idea of faith that it's this powerful thing that you just put your name on something and it's supposed to happen. And you disbelieve or you undo your faith if you ask for the same thing again. They don't get that from the Bible. Because in the mind of Jesus, he said, will I find faith on earth when I show up again? But the faith that he was referring to is the faith that persists in prayer. Are y'all with me? So as we take this whole thing in, prayer is a part of faith. And you cannot have faith if you're not persistently pursuing God in prayer. You just say it one time and forget about it. You're not willing to continuously go. You show that you truly don't believe. I'll give you an example I like to use that we can understand. Is if somebody who you trust, let's just say Apostle Jay, if he sent me to the store, give me the debit card and give me a list of things that we need. Like, could you get this, 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 and this? Yes, sir, I got you. And I go to the store and I swipe it. They say, card said decline. Because I trust and believe in this guy, I'm going to turn to the clerk and say, swipe it again. And if she tells me again, card said decline. I'm going to say, hey man, can I use y'all telephone? And I'm going to call him. I'm like, hey man, the lady said the thing ain't working. What's up? Something I need to do. And I'm going to stay there and I'm going to be on the phone with him continuously until the transaction is complete. Because I believe that when this brother sent me to the store and he tell me to get something, he has provided the means for me to do so. So my faith in him allows me to persist and stay at the store. There's something wrong with y'all machine. Because he ain't going to lie to me. That's the thick picture of faith. Now, if somebody I didn't quite know, we're going to use Aaron as the example. And Aaron say, hey, man, we got a thing at church. Could you go to the store and get this, 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 this? I bet, bro, I got you. And I get up in there, and I swipe that thing, and they tell me, Cause at the client. I'm like, God, man, this man that sent me up in the store. <laughs> got me in front of all these people. <laughs> you gonna pull out my own card, I'm gonna be walking back to the store, man, man, man. <laughs> Try to sneak up out of there because I'm shamed and I'm embarrassed. The difference is, is the faith. I've been walking with Jay longer than I've been walking with Aaron. I ain't been in that position with Aaron before. He ain't never sent me to say get this, 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 and this. So I don't know if his white worked the same. <laughs> it could, it might not. It could be something wrong with that machine. But I got more faith in Jay than I got in Air. Just cause we've been running way, yay long. But it's my faith the thing that allows me to persist. Y'all see what I'm saying? Same thing. If you, most of y'all been broken, been away. Granny, auntie, mama told you I sent you some money. Child, it's going to be, you're going to keep on and hold on until they get it. Now, if that one drunk uncle tell you, you know what I'm saying, I got some in the mail for you. You know, mama, I'm going to take care of you real good. If don't nothing show up, you're going to say, he was lying. I said, always oh, lying. He ain't even have to say nothing. I ain't even asked him for nothing. Because your faith in the person dictates your response. And now we see it in those examples. Faith allows us to persist, but it works the same way in the kingdom of God. 
Faith is demonstrated by our persistence in the matter. So when we begin to think of confession and praying to God and and true salvation, we got to keep this understanding in mind that faith is shown through persistence. We seek God. And and what happens is I've seen it that a lot of people, when they hear that the power of God can come in and it can change you. And we have saw a lot of people these times where you, you see radical transformation. Say a little prayer, you be around and you just say it in your mind. I believe this. And you see radical, radical transformation that happen in your life. And things just fall off. It's just, the whole world looks like different. And you be like, yes, I'm saying that's what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, you go around and you're telling everybody. You ain't got no need to be in here. Sin and God called her to be perfect. I'm saying, you gotta get rid of all that sin. Cause I believe, I used to believe the same thing and everything changed to me. Cause I believe. And then you run to a hard part. Well, life gets a little difficult sometimes. And this don't fall off like the other thing fell off. And now you start to doubt in your mind, is this really true? Can I really live right? Can I really walk the way God told me to walk? Is it more to this than just believing? Is there some other tricks I need to believe? I mean, some other things I need to learn. No. You still need to believe, but that belief is shown and demonstrated in your persistence in seeking God. Seeking God is not the beginning of a process. It is the thing. It is faith. It is the totality of what we have. So I don't continually seek God and pray and pursue after God because I'm trying to make it through this process. I do this because this is life. And I put my faith in him and I need him every day, every hour, so I continuously press. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So as we keep going from here, let's keep that in mind. Repentance, confession, and prayers and expression of confession. Now watch this. Luke verse 9. It says, And he spake this parable unto certain who was trusted in themselves that they were righteous and, and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And this is the picture. Jesus put up two people. Now the one everybody know is wrong. Dude who went in justifying himself, thanking God that he's not an adulterer, he's not unjust, he's not like this old publican sitting in the corner. But the picture of the publican is one we want to focus on because that's the one that was justified. And it's a couple of things I want to notice in his prayer. One, the disposition that he had. In verse 13, it said, The publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven. This guy, when he went in to pray, seeking the forgiveness and the mercy of God, it said he would so not as much lift up his eyes unto heaven. And what that shows or demonstrates is that he had an understanding of himself that he was not worthy to be making the request that he was making. That he was not worthy to be in the position that he was in and that's communing with a holy God. Are y'all with me? 
And this is something that we need to regain in ourselves and in our church because we have made God so friendly that we believe that we have a right to all the blessings that God desires to bestow upon us. That's a lie. God is a person and he is a just and holy person. He is so just and he is so holy we have a right to be destroyed by him. And there's no way we can truly say that we have confessed our sins if our view of ourselves has not put us in a position of humility. If we still think that we deserve to be forgiven, if we still think that God has obligated to us to a certain thing, if we still think we have a certain status within ourselves that allow us to stand before God, to stand before people, to give us something, you know what I'm saying, that we ain't that bad. You have not truly confessed your sins because true confession comes into agreement. It means to say the same thing as. And once you're truly confessing, you must repent. And that is to alter your mind. You once saw yourself as something. People can't talk to you a certain kind of way. People can't look at you a certain kind of way. You have a right to certain things and certain obligations. You did certain things you go to do because you got a right to. You got a right to defend yourself. You got a right to please yourself. You got a right to be happy and all these rights that you have given yourself. And when repentance comes and you robbing yourself of these rights and understand that you have a right to die. That's the only right you got. Because the wages of sin is death. It don't put an amount on it. Just sin, period. And any time you live beyond the one sin that you commit, you are living under the mercy of God. And we need to recognize that. So the foundation of thing to our confession is a part of that repentance, which is altering our mind and seeing ourselves the way that we truly are. And not as not as this great thing that God saw the good in me. So He's been working with me because he see his destiny that he put down in me. You know, God is loving and God is merciful. He's been working with you because he's kind. And he wants to demonstrate that compassion towards you. You do not deserve a thing from God. And you are not. And God is not obligated to forgive you. Hold that page and, and go to Acts chapter 8. It's one of these verses that always stick with me. Acts chapter 8, verse, we'll start at verse 14. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. So now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. All right, what is happening here? Is that the people in Samaria heard the gospel for the first time and just wholesale repentance and, and then took place. People changing. And one of the guys that repented and started following was this dude named Simon, who was a sorcerer, a magician. He deluded the people, he's making money in his magical arts. But the word then got back to the apostles that this was going on. So they went to meet up with Philip, who was the one preaching. To help them out. And when they came, they started laying hands on people so that they received the Holy Ghost. So that's where we at. 15. Who when they would come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was falling upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid there their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money saying, 
Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee because thou hast not thought, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Because I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. This is heavy. So this dude Simon, who was a resourcer, saw the power of the apostles to, to, to give the Holy Ghost to people. And he tried to buy it. It's like, hey man, give me this power. And Peter rebukes him sharply and told him, you're going to die with your money. Both of y'all die together because your heart ain't right. Then he commands him to repent and he said, pray if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven thee. And it always intrigued me the way Peter phrased that. Because if it was a normal apostle nowadays, a 21st century apostle, he would have said, repeat after me right now. So you can make it because God going to withdraw his blessing from you if you don't repeat this prayer. Peter ain't telling him to repeat a prayer. And Peter did not guarantee him salvation, which is heavy. He said, repent if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Because there's a relationship that goes forth where we are petitioning a real person that we call God. It's not this automatic system of religion that we have set up that where if you do the right things the right way at the right time, there are automatic things that are going to happen to you. No, you're dealing with a person. So Peter reminded him, repent if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you because you are in the gal of bitterness. You're caught up, you're trapped in this poison of bitterness. There's wickedness inside of your heart and you need to pray to God and hope that he forgive you. And that is the disposition that we need to have when we come to God confessing our sins. We need to understand that we are talking to a real person who has the right to do with us as he will. We are petitioning him for mercy. We're not, like I say, engaging in a religious activity that guarantees us, uh, that guarantees us an outcome. We are petitioning a real God and we are seeking him to respond to us in mercy. God has the right to do what he wants to when he wants to because he is God. Y'all, you understand? So when you confess your sins, don't just be sitting there just saying a little thing like, I'm saying, God, I know I messed up and I did wrong. Please forgive me. I'm saying if I get caught again, I don't know what's going to happen, God. So don't just, just forgive me. That ain't real. Because if somebody violated you and came to you like that, you wouldn't take it. You, you wouldn't take it one little bit. If you had an uncle that stole all your stuff and pawned your TV and did all that foolishness, he'd come back. I messed up. I made a bad decision. And, and I'm sorry. Just forgive me. I ain't going to do it again. You're going to be like, hold up, huh? <laughs> and you're going to have to tell him by himself. 
and let him know. He already know what he did, but you're going to repeat back. Now you came up in my house. I trusted you to come in my house. All I had you do is just sit there till I got back. You have stole my TV. You have been all in my drawers going all through my stuff. How you find my money in the middle? Anyway, you ain't supposed to be in my room. See, you're going to do all that extra stuff. Because there's something of justice inside of you that you feel needs to be met. And him coming half-heartedly because your mama named to call him and ask him why he did that to you. And so he went, I'm I'm sorry. That don't satisfy that justice in you. Because you know he violated. And you know the only reason he come to you telling you he's sorry because your mama called him and got on him. Now he's trying to make up. That don't seem right to you. And then... At the end of the conversation, after you told him all he business, he get mad at you. Some people trying to do right. You always got to do all that other stuff. I said, I'm sorry. What they going to make you do? You going you gonna to elevate all the way to the next status. You might get to throwing stuff and slanging stuff. Because, hold up, man, you stole my stuff. Now, how you going to get mad at me? Because you did wrong. But we take God and we flip him and he ain't just like us. He don't have a standard like we do. And we believe that God is supposed to accept whatever we bring to him, whatever way we bring it, no matter what our true heart is. So when we're sorry that we got caught, when we're sorry that there are some outcomes in our lives that are not quite the same, that don't hold up the picture that we want to hold up, we go to him and we say, God, I'm sorry, you know what I'm saying? I made a bad mistake, please forgive me. And we think that that's cool and that, and that just lay everything out. But you still think you have the right to live according to your own way. You still think you got a right to be happy according to your own standard of happiness. No, you ain't asked for forgiveness. You have not repented. You are not truly confessing because your heart ain't right. Are y'all with me? But confession is saying the same thing as. And you must view yourself the way that God views you. And if you're going to truly have a right mind. Because Jesus ended the parable with those who humble themselves shall be exalted. And a part of that humility is seeing yourself in the right way. Let's get back to the end of that. We're back in Luke 18. And so we see the disposition of the publican. That he understood himself to be under the mercy of God, in need of the mercy of God. And now look at his petition. He said, simple. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's that's heavy, but it's it's very simple. This is all of his prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And what we see in this, and we're going to expound on it deeper when we go to our next, is just want to pinpoint that those words mean something. Those words carry weight. They carry meaning. And so when he makes the petition, God be merciful to me, a sinner, what he's doing is, He's showing the connection of what his actions put him in relation to God because he's pleading for mercy. And he's describing himself through his actions. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Because to be a sinner, if you truly understand the word, really means something. And, and, and it's amazing that we, we don't have the true weight of this because the word sin has, has lost 
weight and definition in our culture, but also because we we uh, re- redefine things. I'm saying y'all in our culture we redefine everything, even down to the point where they're trying to redefine pedophilia. They 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 making up a new definition. Well, I've got it. it was like a um what is an age attracted person or something like that. <laughs> it, it's something to that degree, it, it, but they're giving a new definition to it because you brand a person when you call them a pedophile that has a connotation, that has a connection. So to take away that branding and to take away that connection, and so we won't be so mean to these people, they're just age attracted males. That means they like people of different age from them. And that's how we redefine things and we take the sting off of it. And we do the same thing in our lives. We most of us, when we be honest with ourselves, we don't commit sins. What we do? Make mistakes. <laughs> we don't commit sins. We make mistakes. Make a bad decision. Mess up. And what that does is it takes the sting off of it. Because in your mind you have a connotation connected to sin. Sin equals hell and death and fire and brimstone and bad people. I'm not one of them people. So God forgive me because I made a bad decision. That's all you did. And so what you do, you don't ever come into a full agreement with yourself or with God about your sins. Two can't walk together except they're in agreement. So what he thinking is a vile, evil thing that deserves to be punished. You think it's just a little bad mistake. This is, and I messed up, you know what I'm saying? Just give me a little time and I'll be better. And so you're not walking hand in hand with God because you don't agree with him. So when you read the scriptures and you see how vile your act is, you're like, they ain't talking about me because I just made a bad decision. Everybody mess up sometime. You know, that's just what it is. But you cannot have true confession unless you see that thing rightly. Unless you understand that this is vile. This is hatred. God despised the act that I have done. And by doing this, I have crossed him. Go to Psalms 51. We're going to cap in this. We're just going to walk through David's prayer for forgiveness. Psalms 51. Let's start at verse 1. It says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This is David's open. So when he praying to God to have mercy upon him, notice he got the same disposition. He's not demanding that God forgive him. He's requesting. He's pleading with God. Have mercy upon me. But notice what the conditions that he put on it. Not because I'm confessing your word and you said in your word that you were going to forgive me. He said, it is according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. So the relationship or the basis of our forgiveness is the nature and the person of God. Not anything else. So when we go to God, we go into God understanding who he is. And we want him to be God in our lives. And a part of him being God is the fact that he's loving, he's kind, he's patient. He's the, he delights to show mercy. But we don't bank on that. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Because if you 
put it up in the fact that because I have sin, God got to forgive me because I said my prayer. You don't have a relationship with God. God ain't got to do nothing. God forgives you because he is a merciful God. And that changed the whole tone of the relationship. So we do it with our children. It's things that we desire to give them when we want to give them. But sometimes they come into you and they ask all crazy. Be like, give me some juice. And be like, hold up. <laughs> that don't sound like no question. And that's the, it's something you were going to do anyway. But once they change their tone and speak to you like you're their parent, like you're an adult, like you have the power to say no, then you respond in kind. And they say, can I have some juice, please? And you act like the whole other thing didn't happen. Yes, you can have some juice. (laughs) But it's that change of tone and understanding that you can't come around here demanding nothing. I'm the parent in this relationship. I bought everything that go in here. You know y'all said that one time. Yeah, my stuff. (laughs) But once they turn and they respect you and they revere you as a parent, then you respond in kind. And it's the same thing with us and God. When we plead to him for mercy, we pleading to him for mercy And the basis of our plea is who he is. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Like I said, some of y'all cheat. You do the same thing. You the trick and you try to be butt up on your parents. You want something. You be like, mama, since you so nice. And I know you'll do anything we need for. (laughs) You boast all that up. And you telling them all the things about themselves that will make them say yes to what you about to ask. This is because of who you is that you're going to do this for me. But it's the reality when it comes to God. So when we plead to him for mercy, we're not pleading to him because we met a formula and we, we said the right thing the right way at the right time and doing the right part of the service. No, we're coming to him because we understand that he's a person. And we're responding to him because we know it's because of who he is that allows him to respond to us. And that's the only hope that we have. If we need God to be God in our lives. So when we pray like we got to be like that. It's according to your mercy. According to your loving kindness that you blot out my transgression. And he goes on in verse 2. Watch me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me for my sin. Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Now this is a little deep, a little tricky. I like that he used that word that my, I acknowledge. Now, in our standard English understanding of this word, we don't really catch the full weight of it. Because all we think of knowledge is he's like nodding his head. That, yeah, he, he accepting the fact that he did wrong. But to truly acknowledge, the same word is translated elsewhere throughout the Old Testament as to know. It's yada. I know my sin. And my transgression is before me. So what he's saying is I have complete understanding. I unfold them things. I I lay it out. I know what they are. I know what it is that I have done. And it goes to that same fact that confession is saying the same thing as. I truly understand my sin. I know my sin. I, I, I understand my plight and my predicament now. I know that what I did is vile. I know that I deserve death. I know that you hate this. You despise this. I understand this God. 
And this thing is ever before me. I can't lose consciousness of it. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? We have to allow God to penetrate our heart and to truly convict us when we do wrong and not allow the culture to redefine guilt, to redefine our iniquity for us. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? You did wrong. You didn't just mess up. You did wrong. You sinned. You committed an evil before the sight of God. That's what you did. And you have to be willing to say that and accept that. Not justify yourself because whosoever cover they sin, they shall what? Not prosper. And that's a part of covering it, changing it. It ain't what it is. Are y'all with me? I'm saying babies don't make a mess. They boo-boo all over themselves and get the stuff all out. <laughs> make a mess is, is dropping a little piece of jelly or something on the thing. Oh, that you do that stuff stinks. <laughs> Verse 4, and it's continuing in the, against thee, I mean, I acknowledge my transgression. See, he acknowledged it. My sin is ever before thee. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And what he's saying in there is, the evil, this is a part of acknowledging. It's before me. I know that I committed a transgression against you. Now, if these headings on this thing is correct, this is supposed to be his response to Nathan calling him out about what he did with Uriah and Bathsheba. And I always Paul going like, Dave, how you going to say against God and God only did you sin? Like you snatched up Bathsheba. You made her commit adultery. You killed the man. You made Joab a murderer. You made him complicit in everything. You, you sinned against a whole lot of people. But the point that he's getting into is everything I do on this planet, even when I'm sinning against people, I'm sinning against God. All my transgressions are a transgression against God. There is nothing that I can do that is a transgression that, 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 that don't involve God. So when I trick and I lie to the IRS, I'm tricking and I'm lying to God. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to save a couple of dollars. I have a little more for the kingdom. No, you're stealing from God. Because <laughs> every sin we commit, we commit it against God. And that's the point that David drive home. Even bigger than what I did with Bathsheba. Even bigger than what I made Joab do. Even bigger than how I treated Uriah. I, I did you wrong, God. And that's a part of his acknowledging in his sin. And the reason he said it is that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. What that means is when you speak, when you declare the evil that I am, I ain't got nothing to say about it. So I'm acknowledging my sin. I'm opening it up. There is no contest. So you are in the right when you judge me. When you damn me and you declare me to be evil and wrong and you speak your, your judgments against me, you in the right, God. I'm opening it up now so that when you speak, ain't nothing for us to debate about. You clear. Ain't nobody said you did wrong. And I understand what he's saying. There's no point of justification. There's no point of argument. There's no point of agreement. I mean, disagreement, God. When you speak, I'm acknowledging it all so you're clear when you do so because I did wrong against you. You can't say, well, God, I'm saying I really was in a bad spot and all that stuff. And watch what he do. Why? How he follow it up in verse 5. said, behold, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So he follows up the fact that he acknowledges his sin and the fact that God is just when he speaks with what seems to be an excuse. 
But hey, I was born in sin. We all live in a messed up world. You know what I'm saying? Sin everywhere. I was shaping in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. But what he goes on and can do is this is an explanation that father puts him down. Not one that justifies his wrong because he followed it up with, with six. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hindered parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And what he's saying is I did wrong. I sinned against you. I was born messed up. And iniquity is how I was shaped. But you want truth in the inward parts. What he's saying, I'm messed up. I can't be what you want me to be. That's a pure acknowledging of everything. He opening everything up to bow. And this is something I, I encourage you to do it. Because I know a lot of people don't encourage when you go to God and when you pray to God, be honest. What you mean by that? Say what's really going on. Because we've been conditioned and you get to church and want to pray and like, Father God, I truly come before you, Lord. And um, I know I did some things you didn't want me to do. And God, but I know. Because you redeemed me that that stuff ain't right. And I'm not that long, no longer that child. If you ain't right there, don't be right there. If everything in you is saying, I want to be out there. I want to be in it. God, I know you, you, you told me I ain't supposed to be doing it, but, but God, I'm, I'm telling you now, if that's where you are, be there. Don't be lying to yourself and trying to, to, to bolster up an idea and an image that you ain't there. You be real and say, God, I'm tired of you children. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of them. Right now, I want to slap all of them. Now, I know you don't want me to slap them, so that's why I'm praying to you, God. If you don't do something, I'm going to be the half killed every last one of them. If that's where you are, that's where you are. And God won't get offended and be like, ooh. <laughs> ooh, Lord. <laughs> you won't shame him. You won't surprise him. But what you will do is help yourself. Because as long as you're masking it, as long as you're trying to not truly say what's going on, you ain't being real. You're not truly confessing. Don't hold it in. Go to God. If life to mess you up and dealt you a bad hand and you feel like life had treated you, go to God and say that. God, I, I messed up. I did wrong. But you know what you did to me. And you know what you allowed to happen. Say it. If that's where you are. I've been this and I've been doing this, but God, I don't see no way for me to get over this. Because since I was little, this has been happening to me. He ain't never did nothing. And I prayed and my auntie let this happen to me. And this other person let this happen to me. And now you want to be mad at me because I'm doing the thing you let happen to me. Now, how are you going to be mad? If that's where you are, be open with it. Now, you might not like the way God responds. But you will not get anywhere. Until you be real in your confession. Because that's how you really feel. You don't feel sorry that I did something wrong. You feel hurt because a whole life in me has been wrong. And everything about me is wrong. And now I want to feel guilty for doing the thing that been already been gone. God, why you want to make me feel guilty now when you know what I've been through? You ain't make that man feel guilty. If that's where you at, be there. Let it out. Cry, snot, spit, whatever you got to do to get it out. Be real with God. 
because you would not allow true healing to take place in your heart and you are not truly repenting and you are not truly confessing if you ain't being true. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? You went out on the binge, you know what I'm saying? You've been saying you try to be saved, but your granny died and you went and got drunk. And you get right, and I'm just, oh, Lord. I know I said I wasn't going to drink no more, God, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That ain't where you at, bro. What you mad because your grandma died? You talk about that. You open that up. And you let it be real. Now, is that an excuse? No. But it's all a part of the package. It's a part of who you are. And it's a part of the problem that you got going on in your heart. Unless you say it, you ain't going to get it relieved. God can't deal with it until you bring it up. So don't be ashamed to be honest before God. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Don't hold back. If you, if you read throughout your Bible, especially in the, in the minor problems, people did that. They went to God. God like, how, hold up. How are you going to judge us with this evil nation? We your people. Those are legitimate questions that people ask God. How are you going to do this? It's okay. God is not going to be shocked. He's not going to get mad. He ain't going to run away and be like, oh, I want to hear her prayer. <laughs> she got an angry prayer. If that's where you are, that's where you are. But you cannot move beyond that and you cannot really get forgiveness and healing from that unless you open it up. And please don't allow nobody to delude you in deceiving yourself and thinking there's a certain way you got to come and there's a certain expression you got to make and there's certain things that are taboo that God won't allow you to pray about. That's a lie. If it's in you, let it out and allow God to truly deal with it. Take it up with it. And that's what David was doing in this thing. He put it out. You want truth on the inward part. I was shaping in iniquity and seeing that my mother conceived me. I ain't what you want me to be. But then he goes into the healing. It's like, but you shall make me to know truth. I may make me to know wisdom in the hidden part. I ain't that. You want me to be it, but I'm not it. And you shall make me to know it in the hidden part. You're going to do something deep down inside of me that's going to give me wisdom. I don't have it. I was born without it. It ain't nothing about me that's going to get it, but you're going to give it to me. And watch it. You begin to transition to, to true healing. Now he's just been confessing and watch where he go. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and the gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He began to transition and from just confessing his sins. And now he's making a plea towards God for the things that he need because of his being born in iniquity. The things that he need because he was shaping the way he was shaping. Because he did these great evils against God, he begins with purge me. Cleanse me with hyssop. That's a reflection back to the Old Testament cleanser. That when they went before the priest to declare the clean, the the thing to be clean and drip the hyssop and all that stuff on them to purify them and basically what he's saying is purify me make me right so that I can truly come before you because when somebody 
had some in their skin. They had to go before the priest. The priest declared them to be unclean. They had to be separated. And before they can be restored back to fellowship, the, the priest had to drop the hyssop on them and do that. And what that did was bring them back into a right relationship with the rest of the people. So now they can worship God the way they were supposed to because they've been cut off from the camp. And what he's saying is when he pleads to purge me with hyssop, what he's asking for is to purify me, put me back in a right standing with you. Make it so that I can truly come before you, that I can be a part of the assembly of your people. So he's begging for cleansing and restoration back to the household of God. But this comes off the back of him being honest and being real. So once he got all that out of his system, now he can go and petition God for the things that he needs. And it begins with cleansing. So make me to hear the joy of thy gladness that my bones that thou hast broken may rejoice. And what he's saying is that is get me back right. And it goes to the inward parts. When he talks about the bones that thou hast broken, what he's talking about is being crushed under the weight and the condemnation of his sin. He couldn't quite do what he wanted to do. He couldn't be what he wanted. We, and we all have experienced that before. I said, I know y'all some deep folk around here. And the one amazing thing about deep folks that dwell with deep folks is that we ain't deep enough to be honest with folks. What do you mean by that? Is you in a community where people love you? And where you have people that's concerned about you? And once you feel the crushing weight on you, that man, I messed up, and, and it really started to weigh heavy on you, the initial response in your mind always is to do what? Withdraw. Withdraw. Start ignoring phone call. You get the um the, the grown folks know. What's the grown folks know? Just don't respond. <laughs> and that's what you do. And that's because of that brokenness and that crushing that you're under, and you truly feel the weight that, that you don't deserve. Yes, you're right, you don't deserve. But withdrawing and, and wallowing in the pity of what you did ain't gonna make it no better. So what you need to do is be real and be open and be honest and ask God to restore the joy, the wholeness that you once had. Because the amazing thing is, if you be honest with yourself, there was a time when you connected and everything was going good and you started making strides. And then if you be honest with yourself, it was when I was with the assembly, when I was with the people, when I was fellowshipping, when we was talking, conversing, and having all that good stuff going on. I fell off. Instead of saying, man, I was real strong when I was in it. So I need to get deeper in it. You say, man, you don't say nothing. <laughs> and you just be there. And you allow evil to penetrate your mind and give you every excuse why you shouldn't be with the people. Why when Jay call, you can't answer his call. Or you be real short with him. What you doing, man? You want to get up? now? I can't do it right now. Everything good? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you later. Then when you miss for a couple times, he calls you just ignore. Ignore. 
because you don't got that joy no more. And it also is a part of the, the crushing and the weight and it's actually a part of deception and the trick of the enemy to, get, to keep you in that place. Because the place of hope is the place where you go back and your brother tell you, yeah, you're wrong and this is what you need to do. And you cry and you get it all out and you be good. But you don't think that's going to happen. You think it's going to be evil and people going to hate you and they're going to ostracize you and they're going to talk about you and they're going to put you down and you're going to be this black eye forever and don't nobody like you no more. Then you do it and the exact opposite of what you thought was going to happen, happen. But then you mess up again and you think the same thing that you thought the first time, even though you got evidence that it ain't going to be like that. That lets you know that you're being led by what? Deception. I wasn't supposed to go tell. <laughs> I might need to hear that right now. <laughs> Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is the end of his petition. Hide your face from my sins. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. This is what we need. This is the place that we need to get to, and this is the end of our repentance. When we get to that place where we understand our sin, where we acknowledge them truthfully, and we can plead to God to really recreate in us everything that we need, a right heart, a right spirit, a clean heart. And let's wrap it on up with verse 13. It said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. And basically he's showing you the end result. So once you've been through all this, said, then will I teach sinners thy ways. So the end result of this plea, the end result of this confession, this repentance, is full repentance. So you go from being wrong, being evil, to being in this valley with God. And the end result is now you're proclaiming the word of God. So now you're an ambassador for God. And now you're doing the thing that you Pope been doing in the first place, and that's serving God. But that is an outflow from God doing his work within you. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So you truly confess your sins. You get it out. You lie God to heal you. And that produces within you a servant's heart where you serve God. Y'all got it. So if you want to be a servant of God, it doesn't start with learning a whole bunch of stuff. It starts with you being right with God. And allow God to do a whole lot in you. Then you can teach. Then you can unfold the full ministry and the the glories of God. Because now you know them. But that also shows us that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Because David could have stopped after he said, created me a clean heart. I'm right with God. I've been made whole. God has forgiven me. That's the end. But he doesn't end there. It outflows to him doing service for people. It outflows with him serving God, loving people, and bringing them into fellowship with him. Because this is the fullness of who we are. We were made in the image of God. We were made for God, for his good, his glory, and everything we do should be for his glory. It should never stop with us because we've been brought into a family, a household of faith. So everything that takes place in me should outflow to somebody else on this planet because I'm connected with people. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And understand that God don't desire sacrifice. What did David mean by that? God told him to sacrifice. You got a whole book called Leviticus that's built on sacrifice. Like the first 11 chapters, I think. 
explained in different ways to make sacrifice. How can you say you don't desire a sacrifice? What he means by that is that ain't what delights him. But it's the true brokenness on the inside. It's the true heart that unfolds. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? It's just like when, when, when somebody did you wrong and they cross you. Then they come try to make it up. And you be like, man, I don't care nothing about that. And you be like, man, hold on. That started the whole conversation. I know this dude in prison. He ended up getting life in prison. How you get life in prison? He stabbed the dude over an orange. Stabbed him over an orange. And he be like, over an orange? Why in the world would you stab somebody over an orange? And if you ask that dude, he will tell you, I don't care about no orange. Like, but you stabbed him over an orange because it's bigger than the orange. His deal, the dude was trying to take something from me. He was trying to play me. And so because he crossed me, I don't care about no orange. But that's our whole conversation is an orange. And what he's getting at is the real heart of the matter. You thought you can get over on me and wasn't that going to happen to you. And what God is saying when he said this, I don't care about no sacrifice. Not that these things are not important. It's that it's bigger than that. If your heart ain't right, I don't want to see that. It's like that time my, my son, we do pretty good in school. But I was looking at his progress report. The boy had all A's and B. But I'm reading out on things. And I saw he got a zero for homework one time. And the teacher made a little note by this um, notebook, one complete or something. Like, what, what, what type of progress report is this? In his mind, he can't fathom why I'm fussing at him when he got all A's and B's. And my response, I don't care about no A's and B's. It's the type of man that you are that matters to me. Because if you being the right man doing things the right way, you're going to get the A's and B's. I don't care about that. If you getting C's, working hard, being an upright man, being somebody that's honorable, I can respect that. Because you're doing it. You're doing it to your full. But you getting zeros on homework, notebook ain't put together, but what are you doing? You're like, well, daddy, I got A's. <laughs> well, son, I don't care nothing about that. And that's what God is saying. You going through the right formula and doing the right thing. You know how to raise your hand and shuffle your feet at the right time and the beat in the music. God don't care nothing about that. You can quote the right scripture at the right time to the right people. God don't care nothing about that. It's about this heart that's inside of you that needs to be broken and open towards him. And that's the one thing that matters. And that's what true confession brings you to. To where you truly open up your heart. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? What does avenge mean? Avenge means to get somebody back for something they did wrong, so to make something right. What does parable mean? Huh? What does parable mean? Parable? That's a story that is used to teach a, dip, a deeper point. What does trouble it mean? Trouble it? To continually trouble you? To get on your nerves would be the way we say it. What is an apostle? Apostle means sent one. So it's somebody that God sent out for a particular task or a mission. What is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost, that's God's spirit that lives inside of us once we believe in him. What does just mean? Just means right. It's, it's the way it's supposed to be. 
What are conditions? Conditions meaning that it's something that has to take place in order for you to get something. Like a condition for you to get juice at home would be that you eat all your vegetables or drink all your water. That's the condition for you to get the other thing or to get dessert. What is mercy? Mercy when somebody doesn't give you the punish you deserve. They give you a second chance. How do you fear God? Oh, beautiful question. You fear God, it begins by recognizing who God is and the power that he has. And once you see him in his power, you don't disrespect him or treat him in a a, a, a way that's not kind because you're scared to mess up and you don't want to mistreat him. Almost some of the way you fear your daddy. Is there such thing as a bad temptation? Is there such thing as a bad temptation? No, yeah. I mean good. Oh, a good temptation? Let me think about that. There's such thing as a good temptation. I could say yes. It depends on how you define the word. Because temptation can literally mean something that tests you. So if it's something that that's testing you to push out all the, the good that's inside of you, that would be a good temptation. Why were Samaritans known as bad people? Why were Samaritans? Because there was something happened in the history of the Jews where they separated. And when they were sent off to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he left some people in the land that was not Israelites and they began to mix with the Israelites and when they began to come back that mixing continued to happen and so they branded these Samaritans as the mixed people so it was almost like being um, a mixed child in the 60s and 70s around here so that's why they were considered bad it's like y'all ain't real Jews and y'all ain't our real enemies either we don't know who y'all are what is witchcraft Witchcraft is people who try to put curses and manipulate people. Those, all those are forms of witchcraft. Why is Jesus called Emmanuel and Jesus? Those are different names to describe who he is. Emmanuel means God with us. So he was God here on the planet. He's God here in our hearts. So that's why they call Emmanuel. Jesus means Yahweh, my salvation. Yahweh saves. And that's who he is, the salvation of God. If you drink wine, are you holy? If you drink wine, are you holy? Now you're being deep again. <laughs> it's possible to drink wine and be holy. I think that is possible. <laughs> it depends on what you're drinking, how much of it you're drinking, and why you're drinking it. If you lie to people and ask God for forgiveness, do you have to go back to that person and, like, admit it? Admit it. That would be a good thing. We confess our faults one towards another. If you do wrong to somebody, you need to make right with that person. It's not always feasible, but it's something that should be sought. He talked about how we approaching a person and it's not a formula to the response. But then there are passages that talk about um, 
It, it just slipped my mind. Where basically when you ask for forgiveness, he's faithful mm-hmm. to forgive you. And that's not the, the way it's worded. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about First John 1, 9. It says he's faithful and just. And the separation that I want to bring, I'm glad you asked that question, is the the hope for the forgiveness where it comes from. And there's some idea that's like everybody's you just supposed to forgive and they put that on God too. Like that's just what you're supposed to do. So anytime somebody say I'm sorry, you're supposed to forgive them. But and what the difference in that is that it's because of his faithfulness and his justice. So there's something about the character of God that allows him to forgive. And that is what we're banking on when we come to him for forgiveness. So it's not that we come into him with the guarantee that because we did it the right way, he's going to forgive. But we're coming to him, pleading to him to show us that faithfulness, to show us that, that lovingness, that mercy, that mercy that we got. It's just a slight nuance that makes a difference in our disposition more so than it does in God, if you understand what I'm saying. So with with that said, is there, uh, or what would you say to the person that would that would describe that as a dangerous place for someone to be because then they never know if they're forgiven or not? Well, now, say it again. Then a person would never have assurance of forgiveness if there's no way to know I, so I, I, I fall into sin. I'm going, I confess to the Lord. But because there's no guarantee of my forgiveness, how would I know when that forgiveness has been issued? Okay, very, very good question. And I think <clears throat> I think it, there is a, a guarantee. There is an assurance. And it's in the person of Christ and the person of God himself. So the thing that we seek after when we go to him is to be reunited with him. And the way that I know I've been forgiven is one, I, I have hope that if I'm truly confessing, if my heart has been broken and I'm pouring out my all to God, that him being merciful, the fact Micah 7 said he's a God that delights to show mercy. So since he delights in showing mercy, that's where my hope lies. And I can see that forgiveness in his response to me, that as he restores me to fellowship and he cleans me and he purifies my heart, those are all signs that he's forgiven me, that he's heard my cry and that I have been restored to fellowship with him because forgiveness is not just, it's not the ultimate thing that we seek. It's the restoration of fellowship and the reconciliation that we long for. So once I see that restored fellowship and I see my heart being transformed and I'm being drawn to him and my love for him increasing, then I know that he has heard my cry and he has forgiven me. But where my hope comes is in pursuit of him. And that's where the faith comes in at, that it's that continuous pursuit of God and that continuously trusting and going after him for him to draw me and connect me in with him. That's where my hope lies. Mercy. Mercy is when you're supposed to get a whooping, but your daddy don't whoop you. He sit down and talk to you instead and give you a second chance. He's showing you mercy. <laughs> did you did you know some Paul was sometimes well Saul was sometimes called Paul uh huh I have three questions the first one is does my repentance it's like when I repent it need to be emotional 
Does it need to be emotional? It doesn't have to be because we all are different human beings made up different ways. So I would answer that yes and no. Yes in the sense of it has to have your true heart behind it. But no in the sense of there is no category that we can put it in and define as being emotional. Because most of the time when we think emotional, we think highly expressive. But I can be emotional and not be highly expressive, if you understand what I'm saying. Like some people, when they get mad, they get real mad, they get quiet. They're being emotional. They what y'all young folk would say they in their feelings. <laughs> but just on the outside, you will know. They get quiet, they shut down, they don't say nothing to nobody, they don't want to talk, they don't want nobody to talk to them. They're being emotional. So in that sense, yes, it should have passion behind it. It should have all of your heart should be into your confession and your repentance. But does that mean you have to shout and, and run around and uh, hit a back and flip? And all that? It doesn't mean that because you are a person created the way God made you. So the way you express those emotions are different. If that, that makes sense. It does. So can I repaint the same thing for it? Can I repaint more than one time for the same sin? Can you? Yes, it's possible. But after a minute, you need to start checking your heart and seeing what is going on in me because repentance is true turning. So if I'm keeping having to repent for the same thing over and over again, that means one of these times I ain't really repenting. So you need to examine your heart and be <clears throat> allow God to shine his light in you and see what's keeping you in this trap and what's keeping you in this cycle, if that makes sense to you. Um, how do you, how do I know the real repent repent? Like, how do I know if I'm doing the real like genuinely repent? What is the result? Of? The result is displayed in the way that you think, in the way that you act concerning that thing. So that's how you know when it's real. When you, the way you think about it changes. And the way you respond and act towards those things changes. Because to repent means to alter your mind. So if it's something that I once took delight in and couldn't wait to get to it, if I truly repent of it, it's something that, I, <clears throat> the way I view it, a change. It's something that's sickening to me. It's something that I despise. It's something that I view a whole different way. My heart towards it changed. You understand what I'm saying? It's like somebody that was addicted to drugs. Then they saw what it did to their life and how it ruined their family. Once they get to that sober moment when they see, man, this stuff destroyed my family. I lost my kids. Don't know my mama and them don't trust me no more. I've been put in prison all these. They don't want to be none or nowhere around it. Just the thought of it themselves. Once they really get to that point, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. That's when you know, okay, that, that person, they didn't really change. And it's worked the same with us. So when it's, when our pet sins, the way we view them, the way we think about it, the way our heart responds to those things changes. That's when we know some real and really took place in me. And as my actions change, that's a demonstrate to me that my heart has changed. That makes sense to you. That's it. They all yours, Apostle. <laughs>